Thank you for listening to Ivy Podcast, where we feature weekly leadership conversations with thought leaders and industry experts. Now, here is your host, Cesar Romero. Hello, and welcome to the Ivy Podcast, the podcast for leaders, innovators, and entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Cesar Romero, and today we're going to talk about building a global school for product managers with the founder and CEO of Product School, Carlos Gonzalez de Villa Umbrosia. Carlos is an entrepreneur with over 10 years of experience building global companies and products worldwide. In 2014, Carlos founded Product School, and today, the company is the global leader in product management training with a community of over 1 million product management professionals. In this episode, we're going to dive deeper into Carlos's journey into product management, how he got to build a community of over 1 million product professionals worldwide, and what does it take to be a successful product manager? Thank you so much for tuning in and let's dive into the show. Carlos, thank you so much for joining us today in the Ivy Podcast. Um, so excited to, to have you today and dive deeper into your experience and in the, into the world of product management. And just to start off, and for those in the audience that might not be familiar with your background, uh, would you mind just sharing with us uh, what you're currently working right now and a little bit more about, about your background. Totally. Well, thank you for having me on um, on the Ivy podcast, even though I didn't go to an Ivy League. So <laughs> I am originally from Spain. I studied computer science. So I'm one of those engineers who didn't want to spend the rest of his life coding. <laughs> and back in the day, I was lost because there weren't really that many options. Uh, at least I weren't aware of them. And uh, I was always very curious. I was always very excited about building things, digital things. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea what product management was back in the day. So I think I've been doing a lot of product management stuff without the right label. It's only when I decided to come to the US to study a, a master's in business when I realized, oh my God, first of all, there are a lot of engineers who are thinking business, which was very refreshing for me because where I come from, I was supposed to follow this track, which, you know, you are going to be an engineer and then a, software, a senior engineer and so on. Right. And so it was good for me to know that, that there were many other people with the same interest as me. But I also met many other business folks who come from a very different background, like consulting or finance, who also wanted to work in tech. They wanted to get their hands dirty a little bit more, but they were feeling very intimidated by not having a traditional technical background. Mm -hmm. So here we are, two different groups of people in the same classroom. And the reality is that traditional education wasn't really solving that problem for us because at least I didn't have a single class on product management or digital marketing mm -hmm. or data science or UX design, a lot of the skills that many of us use on a daily basis. And that was part of the inspiration for me. I've been always a, a rebel. So I, I, I got my degrees, but in reality, I learned most of the things that I do on a daily basis on the go by, by yeah. failing, by starting my own company. So after 10 years starting different companies, I realized that I wanted to start school of my dreams, the school I wish I had when I was getting started. So product school is really a, a solution to my own problem. It's a hybrid between an engineering school and a business school that gets the best out of both worlds and help people grow as product managers in a much more efficient way than traditional education. All of our trainings are on weeknights or weekends. So both instructors and students don't have to, to quit their jobs. 
<laughs> awesome. I, I, I love that. And uh, a couple of things I want to unpack there, but I just want to mention that product school is very impressive. And I stumbled upon product school because I did a UX UI program with General Assembly. And I remember our instructor telling us, even though you're studying UX UI, you should talk uh, product language, right? So I started looking around and I stumbled upon product school and it's very impressive what, what you're building. And, and we're gonna dive deeper into it, but bef before we do that, I wanted to ask you, uh, you mentioned that you, you moved from Spain to the US, right? And I wanted to ask you about that transition. Like, what, what was the biggest challenge for you going from you know, living in Spain and coming, coming to the US? The biggest challenge as an immigrant was, um, first of all, get access to stay in the, in the U.S. Mm -hmm. I was able to come as a student, but that doesn't mean that you can continue and get a job or start your own job. And, and that was one of the reasons I had to go back to Spain after my mm -hmm. private st studies, just because I couldn't stay. I wanted to start a company, but there, there wasn't an available visa for me. Mm -hmm. So anyway, long story short, I ended up raising capital from investors in Europe, spent some time in Latin America. And then I was able to come back to the U.S. in less than a year uh, as, a, as a founder. And I was able to, you know, have more capital uh, for uh, attorneys and, and figure out that the situation. <laughs> but that was definitely a challenge because on top of obviously building a business and, and try to, to create employment for others, I also had to take care of myself and try to figure out how to, how to stay. Um, but at the same time, I think I developed more resilience. Right. And, yeah. and I'm very appreciative of, of the opportunity. And I've been here for 10 years now. Wow. Married. My two kids were born here. So I, I call San Francisco home. I love that. I, I, I love how resilient you've, you've been. And I wanted to ask you, was there ever a fork on the road for you where if you had made a different decision, uh, product school wouldn't exist today? You know, did you ever face that moment? Like, you know, this totally. I mean, this is my third attempt as a founder. <laughs> and uh, it's, I could only do what I'm doing uh, because I failed many times before. And I can't claim to have everything figured out, but in a way, I think that type of resilience, that type of trial and error and, and moving fast, trying different things, learn is critical to, to have some sort of chance to continue doing what I love. I think I didn't give up many ways. And if anything, I have to give credit to engineering school because in engineering, I didn't really learn much about coding or anything, but I learned how to not give up and how to kind of figure out a solution. I love that. And um, one thing that I, I wanted to unpack as, as well, because you, you have mentioned uh, learning and failure uh, as part of your recipe for success, right? And I want to ask you about if you have a favorite failure of yours that taught you a very important lesson that you still apply to this day. I don't know if it's my favorite, but that's definitely the, the hardest for me. It's, <laughs> the I mean, hardest. My, my previous, my company before product school was also in education. I've been always in, in love. and I, I have a love-hate relationship with education. <laughs> this way. I was always trying to, to totally. solve my own, my own problems. And, and I, I did this whole Silicon Valley thing of raising capital, growing fast, building an all-star team, and then hit a wall. I wasn't able to raise that next round. I wasn't able to uh, achieve the financial milestone that, that some of my investors requested. Mm -hmm. And that meant that I just had to find a, a different path for me. And that was really hard because it's when you come from an environment 
like where you know you get a lot of press and then investors are putting they're giving you money in previous rounds and everyone seems to be happy and, and there are certain metrics that are going up and to the right and then you hit reality and realize that you also have to you know it, it never gets any easier it was really hard i had to reinvent myself and i think that was the inspiration behind broad school because mm. i had to stop for a second and realize okay, I've done a lot of different things that seem great on paper, but in reality, mm-hmm. I'm not happy. Mm-hmm. I, I was fully disconnected from product. I was really, really spent all my time raising money, pitching PowerPoints to investors who were never going to use my product. Mm-hmm. And at some point I realized, well, I started a company to be able to work on what I want, to, to spend time with my users. And, and I just didn't get any of that. So when I decided to start product school, I created the opposite of what I built before, which was in this case, Product School is a bootstrap business. So we didn't raise any external capital. Oh, wow. I am teaching product management, which is what I really, really love. So we are not building something massive to teach cooking and product management. <laughs> and, you know, like we're hyper focused on one skill. We try to do it well. And I'm spending all my time with, with students, with, with instructors, in this case, participating in these interviews and that's that's what i love because i'm interacting with the people who appreciate what we build and we're building for them at the end of the day i love that and this is a great moment to to shift into product school right and let me just start off by saying that why product school is impressive to me a couple reasons one one i i believe you have over one million product managers uh, as part of the community, right? Students, professionals, people that want to pivot into product management. Uh, You have over a thousand free live classes per year. You have a best-selling book, the the product book, Amazon bestseller. Uh, You have ProductCon, which is like one of the biggest conferences on product management. I guess my, my question with this is how, how do you get it all done, right? Like what, what are some of the pillars on which you have built this great community? Because at, at the end of the day, that's, that's what I'm getting at, right? It's like I go on Slack or anywhere I go, really, there's always something going on, you know, with product school, right? So how, how, how do you get to that point, right? And I know, you might not be able to reveal the, the secret sauce, but if someone were to uh, wanted to build a, a community, you know, as, as successful as product school, what are some of the things that uh, we should look out for? Well, product school is a community first and foremost, mm-hmm. and that's not an afterthought. That's something that I was very clear about since the very beginning. Mm. We might not have the same reach as we have today, but it was very important for me to create a platform where people could get value even if they are not paid customers. The mm-hmm. same way I wanted to uh, invite different product leaders to, to give back and contribute. Mm-hmm. So that was a core a pillar for, for everything that we do today. And you're right, like to, you know, we've been seven years uh, working on, on, product man- on product school. The very beginning, there was uh, one weekly event where I was the speaker and I was also the first instructor of our classes. There was no book. There was nothing. There was just a <laughs> core group of maybe 50 passionate users in San Francisco. But mm-hmm. when I say passionate users, I mean it. Mm-hmm. These are people who are, we, we knew each other by our name. We hung out together mm-hmm. and we would really make sure that they are not just emails on a random database. Mm-hmm. These are human beings that we know each other really well. 
And that was really my, my marketing team because they were having such a great experience in mm -hmm. some of our free events or in some of our paid courses that they wanted to bring in more people. So I think keeping that sense of community and making sure that you treat your users with respect and not just as a, an email, it's really critical. Quality is one of our values, quality over quantity. That's how we call mm -hmm. it. The, second, the other value is students first. And the third one is respect. And today, the community is over 1 million members and it's global and, it's and so on. But in reality, we want to keep that quality value really, really high, mm -hmm. right? Like, yes, we can afford to do more quantity, but that doesn't mean that we are lowering the standards. If you look at who our instructors or speakers are, they are all the very best product leaders in the industry. Yeah. VPs of product like Netflix, Google, mm -hmm. Facebook. It's very important for us that they are the ones, the practitioners, that teach the next generation how to build excellent products. One of the things that I didn't like about traditional education myself is that a lot of the teachers were teachers. And yeah. nothing against that, but it's that I believe, in, especially in product management, it's very important to learn from the best, and the best in this case are practitioners. I agree with you on that. Uh, I remember sitting in, in a classroom many times where I was like, this is my teacher, but he doesn't have real experience in, you know, project management or whatever the, the, the topic was. So I totally relate to that. And a couple of questions here. And one is, so you mentioned finding those first 50, you know, community members that are passionate, right? That are going to be the growth driver into the next level, right? Like, how do you go about finding uh, those first 50 passionate members? In my case, the, what I did was to start with one and then two and then three. Yes. Like, I didn't have the goal of reaching 50. I first wanted to make sure that one or two people would care. And I used internet, I particularly Quora.com, which is a mm -hmm. very famous discussion forum where there are mm -hmm. a lot of people asking questions about product management of, uh, across all levels. And I would spend at least two to three hours every day mm. to answer those questions. But I re give really, really thorough answers. And mm. you can see who the, the person is. Mm -hmm. So I would make sure to connect with that person on LinkedIn, follow up, make sure that they, they got value out of my answer. And most of the people participating, at least back in the day, were based in the Bay Area. Mm. So in some cases, I was even able to meet with some of them in person for coffee, just to, to continue learning more about why. Um, then I started organizing a few free events and I was using websites like Eventbrite or Meetup just to post the, the event. And I would rent a, a lobby, a conference room in, a, in Corking Spaces just to, to give a teaser of product management. So I would be the speaker. So nice I would talk about prototyping or roadmapping or data analytics, something along those lines. And I would spend one to two hours with, with people who wanted to show up just to learn, right? And, and there was a part about learning, but there was also a part about networking. Mm -hmm. So I was really serious about meeting the right customer. And I was I didn't have these crazy expectations of, oh, we're going to grow very fast. We're going to become a unicorn. <laughs> like, I made that mistake before. And, I, I, and yeah. I, I was prioritizing my own happiness and, and the value for the users. And then of course, it, it, you know, it scaled and now we're at a different level and some of the tactics that I just mm -hmm. described don't scale. Right. But it's, at the end of it, it's that same mindset of treating users with respect and making sure that they get value in every single interaction. I just have a big smile on my face right now because uh, my, my background is in community building and exactly what you mentioned is what I recommend to people just getting started, right? Like one-on-one -on -one, uh, connection and meetups and calls. 
right? Because it's it's very it's a very underrated tactic, right? Because people want to grow fast and get to that unicorn status tomorrow, right? But that's not how you build something that it's sustainable, right? So uh, that's where my smile comes because yeah, I'm like yes, this is exactly uh, what people should be doing. Um, now on the on the other end of the scale, right? Once the community gets as you know, as, as a big as part of school and beyond, right? One million members. How do you continue to keep the quality, right? Because I know for a lot of companies, the struggle is that the community gets diluted, right? In 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 the growth, right? Because things that used to work now don't scale, right? So how do you, or what advice would you have for, for someone that it's at that point and that they're struggling to keep that quality of, in the community. That's a great point. And there are even bigger communities like Reddit, for example, right. that, yeah. that have those situations. When you get to a certain scale, the goal is the opposite. Is how can you be as small as possible? That is, <laughs> create those type of sub-communities where people can still feel the connection. Mm-hmm. In our case, that's what we are doing. So all of our programs um, that we run, they are for up to 20 students. Mm. And we have a hard cap there. And they have a lead instructor. Mm-hmm. Which means that, yes, there might be multiple programs running in parallel, but we make sure that, first of all, there's a, a hard cap, but also we curate who are those 20 students that we are going to accept into a specific program and who the instructor is going to be just to facilitate high-quality interactions. That's awesome. Um, yeah, it, and that's exactly what I mentioned, right? Like figuring out how to keep that intimacy. I think that's that's key, right? And Something that just came to my mind um, because I've I've seen different models, um, and I'm just curious on as to why you decided that it was going to be classes um, and workshops, right? Instead of I don't know why not uh, a tool for for product managers, right? Um, what why do you decided on 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 classes and and courses, right? Because that's that's um, very, very challenging to, to pull off, right? Um, yeah, especially for a product person like myself, I tend to default <laughs> to, okay, let's build the product. Yeah, right? exactly. Um, I, uh, first of all, I didn't decide, I think our users decided for us. Mm, part like of the um, interactions, part of the small events and uh, small interactions I were having online were also very helpful for me to understand what they really wanted. Did mm-hmm. they want yet another tool uh, mm. to create community, to build product, or where they, and, and what I realized was that the, the missing piece here was an actual community, mm-hmm. a place where they could meet like-minded people, where they could really go deep in certain areas that maybe are not that available online, or it's just more impersonal. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the, the, that's by listening to customers, that's, that's what I decided to do. I love that. I love that, Carlos. And it's, it's a simple answer, but yet it's, not many people get it right, right? Because they say they listen, right? But in, in reality, um, they're still stuck in, in, in that mentality of, no, this is what people need. <laughs> and with that, with that said, um, what would you say are some of the misconceptions out there that people have around either building a product or product management as a profession? Uh, there are 
many. And <laughs> the, the two most common ones that we get are, number one, do I need to be a software engineer or do I need to code <laughs> in order to become a product manager? And you know, seven years ago when we started, this wasn't really that obvious. There wasn't mm-hmm. anything out there. And, and it's, those are fair questions. Mm-hmm. But the reality, and, and the market has evolved so much, it has proven that you don't need to be a software engineer. You don't need to know how to code. I'm not saying that it's, it's not going to help. Obviously, the more you know, the better. But there's definitely a lot of companies, the majority of companies out there that are hiring product managers that don't expect the product manager to be a, a former engineer. Mm-hmm. Second misconception is the extreme opposite, which is an MBA. There are people who ask, well, do I need to get an MBA in order to be a product manager? And the answer is no. If you want to become a product manager, you can do it. And obviously there is different skills that you have to learn. And that's what we teach in our programs at Product School because those are more tactical skills mm-hmm. and some soft skills that really can apply today. And examples of that are how to create a roadmap, how to get, how to interact mm-hmm. with students, also students, with users, how to analyze data, how to create wireframes, how to communicate certain decisions with stakeholders. All the, some of the things that I just described right now, at least I didn't learn them in the traditional education system. Absolutely. And um, I was one of those people out there that had those mis- misconceptions, right? And interesting to- story, I did the program with General Assembly, right? But at the end of the program, I, I realized that I didn't want to be a UX UI designer and that I was a better fit to, to be more into product, Right. So uh, right now, one of my projects, if you could say, is combining community management with product management, you know, and, and create some sort of like hybrid professional. Uh, so you'll be seeing me uh, in the near future uh, in one of the one of the classes uh, at product school. <laughs> you know, it's actually very um, it's happening. Like everything is defaulting to product. We mm-hmm. see a lot of designers who now want to become PMs. We see a lot of engineers. We see a lot of marketers. And that's all great because that's creating more diversity. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that the experience that you already have as a designer is very good and very necessary. Probably without that experience, you, you wouldn't have realized that then you wanted to take a next step in your career. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, everything works out in the end, you know, in some weird way. <laughs> and by the way, product management is exactly that very few people actually get that first job as a product manager. Mm. And it makes sense. You, you need to have some professional experience before in order to be a good PM. Yeah, uh, absolutely. It, 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 it definitely helps, right? Because if you can understand business, then it puts you in a better position to, to be a product manager um, and uh, design, right? Because UX design, to me, ultimately, it's about, it's about the users, right? Much like much like product or, or building a product. Uh, and speaking of, of products, uh, what are some of the products out there that you're excited about? Oh my God, so, so many, <laughs> so many. On, on how I, um, but one of the, the things that I, one of the criteria that we actually use when, when picking the instructors that teach at product school is we want to make sure that one, they are actively working as product leaders. And number mm-hmm. two, they are doing it at companies that are, great, that are being used by millions of people, that people recognize, that people want to learn more about. And mm-hmm. I am just one more user in this space. So <laughs> uh, 
it was funny because we look at our phones, right? What are the apps that we download yeah. and we use the most? And we want, literally, we want to get those product leaders to come share their stories. So examples of some of the tools that I use on a daily basis for work are Slack, mm-hmm. Zoom, um, huge on uh, Google Workspace, uh, everything on the cloud, of course. Salesforce, uh, Trello, <laughs> at some of the Atlassian products. So many products. <laughs> so many. And, I, and we drink our own champagne, right? Like mm-hmm. we use those products and we feel very proud to then invite the, 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 the geniuses behind the scenes to come and, and share some of those practices. That's awesome. Yeah. One of my favorite products right now is uh, the app Calm. Um, because I've been using it. I started using it in January because, um, you know, with this with everything going on with COVID, the pandemic and um, everything shifting, I wanted to have some sort of app that could help me ground myself, right? So if you can get uh, any of the people behind the, the Calm app, uh, that'll, be, that'll be awesome. That's my, my wishful thinking over there. <laughs> you know, the beautiful thing about this is that we can make it happen. There you um, go. <laughs> and and we, first of all, we had some some folks from Calm and also Headspace. Yeah. Uh, and that's one of the good things that people tend to say yes. Um, I wouldn't be afraid of just asking. Like, like right now, it's an opportunity to go out there and invite someone to have a stage and mm-hmm. share some of their stories and best practices with with the community and that's one of the things that i missed in a traditional education system Mm -hmm. i used to go to class because my parents asked me to and my reward (laughs) was to get credits or a diploma at the end yeah here you come because you want to yeah and uh, and the instructors or the speakers they participate because they want to do and that creates such a powerful atmosphere because Mm -hmm. everyone is hungry Mm -hmm. and and that is just much more powerful I, i think of of what we do as a gym for our brain you go when you want to yeah not because your parents are asking you to go <laughs> that is so true right and, and and that's the best uh when you can have that when you can have um members or students or users that they go because they want to then I, that's you've made it in in my book <laughs> now now carlos there uh there was an update on your Oh, I don't know what's going on here. Huh, interesting. The, um, there was an update on your LinkedIn that really got my attention and I'm gonna, I'm gonna read it. Uh, it says, the brain of a product manager, right? Resourceful, do whatever it takes to figure things out. Analytical, define success and keep track of the score. Empathetic, support your, your team and listen to your users. Um, where does that come from? Uh, because I see that, or I saw that, and I was like, this applies not just to product manager, but it can be applied to life in general, right? Like, if you can apply those principles, like, you can be successful. So I, I was just wondering, where, where, does that, where does that come from? I agree with you. And I think product management applies to life in general. It's a mindset. And that's what we are trying to explain people that you can be a product person, even though you might not have the product manager title. Uh, that's just different. Like you can apply these principles when planning a wedding, when planning a vacation, right? <laughs> when making decisions. So, and, and starting from the problem and not the solution, trying to look at data, but also qualitative information, creating a plan, executing on it, collaborating with people. That is, that is product management, but that's also life. 
And uh, it's funny because that post got a lot of attention. Then people started also adding more characteristics. Yeah. And it's true, right? Like we could create an infinite list of things that are important in product. But I try to summarize that in three because there's something around yes, being hungry and having mm-hmm. grit that it's very mm-hmm. important in this case because we don't know what we are facing and we are supposed to be making decisions about what's next, where we are going to allocate some of the team's time and some of our resources. And, and that means that we need to be resourceful and creative enough to figure things out. Because sometimes that first solution that we figure out has to be scrappy, uh, just to test the waters before we invest more. Yeah. Um, the second piece about being analytical, I think it's very important. One of the misconceptions in product management is that, oh my God, you have to be a visionary. And that this is for <laughs> people like Steve Jobs, right? That they have great ideas and they, they, they tell others what to do and everyone does it. And then Steve was right. Well, <laughs> the reality <laughs> is that this is more iterative and it's about getting feedback from users, about getting data points from, from what your users are doing with your product and then iterating on that. It's less about vision and, and more about data. And uh, so it's important to not forget that there is a data-driven component here that we all need to get in addition to obviously getting some qualitative data. And number three, it's, um, number three is what, what I said. Um, empathetic. Empathetic. I, I, I used to say that product management is more people management. Yeah. Especially as you grow in your career, some of the challenges that you are going to face are not about the, the tools or the technologies. It's more about the, the team, right? Who you hire, what's going on, how do you resolve conflict? How do you get buy-in? How do you make certain trade-offs? And that's something that's not in the book. It's something that you acquire with experience, but also by listening, by having that mindset of, hey, we are not, as a PM, we are not supposed to bring that best idea. We're not supposed to be here telling everyone how to do their job. We're trying to ask the right questions. We're trying to understand all the different parameters and then make a decision. And that is critical. I 100% agree with you, right? Uh, and yeah, I, I'm going to print that out and, and put it here in my wall because those three uh, principles, I definitely want to make sure that I abide by those. Something else that I saw on your newsfeed that got my attention and I wanted to bring it up for, for a conversation here because I, I think uh, especially executives listening to this might be interested. And you, you posted that retention is the new growth. And I wanted to ask you about, about that. You know, what, what do you mean by that? And how can we achieve retention? Yes, so you can tell. Very active on social media, yeah. especially on LinkedIn. <laughs> um, love retention. And I think the word worth growth can be confusing because mm-hmm. tend to associate growth to user acquisition, which is users on top of the funnel. But the reality, especially if you are creating a recurring business or a community, a true community, not an mm-hmm. audience where you just come to consume content, is that the retention is what makes people stick around. It's, it's the reason why they're not only going to try, but they want to continue being with you. And and I think there has to be growth there. Like the, the, you, you can think of growth across every single stage of the funnel from user acquisition to retention to eventually monetization. But like if you eventually want to have uh, higher monetization, if you want more people to pay and stay with you, then it's much easier to focus on retention and make sure that they're having a positive experience, they're getting value with every interaction than trying to reinvent the wheel and bring on new users again and again, because at the end of the day, you are creating a leaky bucket if you are not retaining your users. I love that analogy of the leaky bucket. 
then that is so true. So what, what would be a practical way, right? Or one recommendation that you have um, in, in general for someone that wants to achieve that retention point? First is to pick the right metrics, right? To, is mm. the, what is really, what is the name of the game here? Is it mm. to, are you going to be looking at new signups, like mm. new emails, or are you really going to focus on what's happening with the users who already signed up? What's been their interaction with your product? And how much value are they really getting out of it? How often are they coming back? Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to first identify those key metrics, then start taking action against those success metrics. Otherwise, it's just always going to be an afterthought. And unfortunately, I've seen that happening too often because the, the hockey, the famous hockey stick, right? With showing that you can always find a metric that shows you growth up and to the right. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's that's definitely a good starting point. And then, and then of course, I think. Talking with users and looking at data, it's critical because mm -hmm. we can all have ideas about why certain things are happening, mm. but you can only figure it out when you actually face reality and look at the hard numbers and then you have a conversation and then you really understand the, the, the why behind all of these actions. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, looking at the data uh, and trying to figure it out, right? What if, if what you're doing is working or not, right? And, and data doesn't, doesn't lie, right? <laughs> And I definitely agree with you. I I've, I've personally have had that challenge before where we put a lot of effort into acquisition, but uh, we didn't manage to retain, right? Because there was something missing, right? Like people were, were, people were signing up, but they were not staying long enough, right? So we, we definitely, I definitely have, have struggles in the past in my previous companies. Um, so. I, I agree with you, you know, retention is what's going to drive growth, right? At the end of the day, right? Um, and also, uh, I can't remember the statistic, but I think it's more expensive to acquire a new customer, right? Or a new member than to retain. Um, totally. And the stats are insane. It's over in 15 to 25 times harder mm -hmm. to acquire a new user than to retain a happy one. So the uh, metric that we look in recurring business is called churn rate. It's like, what is the percentage of users who stop using your service after a certain period of time? So if you can get that churn rate low enough, you can get a much more powerful and sustainable business than if you have a really high churn rate, because that means you have to constantly be adding many new users on top of the final. Yeah. And uh, to, to shift gears here, uh, I... I recently saw that you are launching the first uh, product management career fair. And I wanted to ask you about that. Like what, what prompted you to, to launch it and who is the career fair for? Well, we've been doing a lot of private career fairs for mm. our alumni and a lot of matchmaking because I believe that education has to be connected with employment. Yeah. And in this case, uh, ultimate uh, validation of what we do is to make sure that our students either get their first product management job and some of our experienced PMs can also get that next promotion. Mm -hmm. So we decided to open up the doors and create the first ever public career fair to, uh, to allow not just paid members of the community, but anyone in general to connect with companies that are actively hiring and, and, and try to level up the playing field. I see. I, I love that. I love what you mentioned that education needs to be connected with employment. You know, and and that, that's so true. Um, I'll definitely make sure we add it to the show notes um, because, yeah, you know, if we can help people 
get jobs in product management or sometimes people want to know like what what's product management about right because one of the things with COVID and the pandemic is that a lot of people are pivoting into new careers right product management UX UI uh, data because things changed right so um, we'll definitely make sure to to, to add it to the show notes um, Awesome, Carlos. And to to wrap it up here, what um, two two questions I have in mind? What what would be your number one takeaway that you would like the audience to absorb as it, as it relates to product management? Mm-hmm. Well, I want to send a positive message, and I think the future looks bright for digital creators. It's never been a better time in history to build a digital product, and this is because the world is moving online more and more businesses are trying to offer their services or products online. And also a lot of companies are working remotely. That means that all of us use with, interact with digital products with many digital products on a daily basis. And guess what? The product managers are the ones who are leading the transformation. They are the ones building those products. They are the one connecting those products and allowing people to better collaborate. So it's not just for product managers, but in general, people who are in, in tech who want to acquire digital skills, this is definitely a much needed skill for the world. I agree with you 100%. I, I always say that, or the way I see product managers is that they're problem solvers, ultimately, right? Uh, always trying to figure it out what's going to add, what's going to solve the user, the customers, the members' issues. Um, so definitely agree with you on that. And and lastly, Carlos, I'm a big reader, and I always like to ask my, my guests, you know, what's the, what's the book or some of the books that have had influence on you or the book that you give the most? Great question. Um, I like reading too. And currently reading two books. Um, one is called Connect. Mm. And it's uh, written by one of uh, my mentors. Uh, her name is Carol Robin. She was, mm. she's a fantastic um, mentor, coach, someone who really made me think about being more vulnerable, um, sharing mm. my feelings and, and help me connect, not just with team members, but with family. So she has released this book and that's really good. And another one, it's called Humor, seriously. And it is about how to, this is also written by another Stanford professor. It's about uh, Jessica Acker, how you can use humor and how positive people can, can influence others and can create a much better environment. And it's true, like how you want to be with positive people that they bring you up and not push you down. I love that. Uh, I'll definitely add those books uh, into into my list that keeps on growing. <laughs> awesome, Carlos. And where, where can people find you? Like what's what's the, the best way if someone wants to reach out to you? Uh, LinkedIn is great. Uh, mm-hmm. Please feel free to connect and I'm pretty active. So I'll try my best to um, respond to everyone uh, over one-on-one in direct message. But also if anyone wants to join our community and enjoy some of our free resources, please uh, check us out at productschool.com. Awesome, Carlos. Well, thank you so much for uh, being here on the Ivy podcast today. I really appreciate and admire everything that you're doing with, with Product School. And we are big supporters of what you're doing. Uh, and we're looking forward to have you on future episodes. Maybe we can dive deeper into some specific product topics. Uh, but for now, uh, thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your platform with me. It's been great. 
Thank you for listening to the Ivy Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our RSS feed on ivypodcast.com and all major podcasting platforms like Spotify and iTunes. As always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a rating on iTunes.